Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to the Heartwork Community Quran Study of Surah Yusuf at Roots. All of our programming at Roots is live streamed and published free of charge thanks to the goodwill of our monthly sustainers. Your donations allow us to continue our mission of being a community of welcoming, providing meaningful content, and nurturing our hearts, minds, and souls in coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa You can help us reach our Ramadan campaign goal of 250 new sustainers by signing up today. Or, if you are already a sustainer, you can increase your amount and also encourage your family and friends to support the work we do by signing up at rootsdfw.org sustain. As always, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and reward you. Jazakumullah khairan wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. All right. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaykum everybody, welcome home. It's good to have you guys back. Alhamdulillah. I promise you today we'll get more than two words done, inshallah. Um, so we are, uh, inshallah, going to uh, continue. We're going to jump right in, inshallah, because I don't want to uh, waste any time uh, talking about where we were last time. Um, so for those of you who weren't here last week, if you didn't catch up, we are uh, starting to explore uh, the chapter of Surah Yusuf, chapter number 12 in the Qur'an. And we laid out the, the groundwork, the foundation. The Prophet uh, is experiencing in his life at this moment, at the moment of revelation, uh, he's going through one of the most difficult, uh, challenging, if not the most difficult and challenging moments in his life. The historians have called it the year of grief, the year of sadness, Amil Huzn. And in this moment, the Prophet is like anyone looking for comfort, looking for security, looking for reassurance, looking for anything. Um, that he can understand that whatever is happening, and this is again the, the key here, whatever is happening is not out of control. And this is a big theological point for Muslims that we believe. That even if we don't quite understand why something is happening or why it's happened or what exactly is happening, that's fine. But what we do have absolute certainty in, what the Qur'an reminds us of, is that That everything that is occurring is not out of control, is not chaotic. Okay? And this is a huge reassurance to the believer that they know that this world is not spinning out of orbit and that the creator and sustainer is not the one that is in, 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 in control or in, in maintain, maintaining it. So the Prophet ﷺ is seeking and looking for some assurance and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down this chapter and this chapter has some unique features to it we talked about it's the only uh, uh, it's one of the only chapters that mentions the, the the story of Yusuf and it's definitely the only chapter that explains it and that opens up the story of Prophet Yusuf um, we talked about how some of the Mufassirin they say that this is one of the only chapters or if not the only longer chapter that was revealed all in one go Right, that the story was revealed at one time. That's one of the opinions. So there's some unique bits to it. Um, and then, of course, we talked about how it starts with these broken letters, Alif, Lam, Ra. And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an uses these broken letters numerous times. And a lot of uh, the surahs that begin with these broken letters, they begin to talk about the miraculous nature of the Qur'an. So the Qur'an is, is, it has this miraculous nature to it linguistically. Of course, we believe it has miraculous nature to it other ways. But the way that the Arabs appreciate at the time is that it is a, a linguistic miracle. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, He challenges the people of that time. That if you can, go ahead and replicate this. Come up with something better. If you think that this is human made, then why not? Why not come up with something better? And truth be told, the impact of the book of the Qur'an, the message of the Qur'an, Across 1,400 years, billions of people, the impact it's had on the spirituality and the morality and the ethics of not just Muslim society but the world stands as a testament to that challenge, right? No human being has been able to replicate this message or to even come near it, let alone do something that outdoes it. So these letters are references to the Arabs of the time and to everybody that linguistically this is the... Uh, uh, message of God. So we're going to play a little bit of this, inshallah. 
Um, you know, one of the cool things about the Qur'an is that whenever it's played, the angels gather, right? We learn that the angels from all over the earth, they gather, and they, they try to find the gatherings where people are remembering God. And it's almost like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, like, um, uh, the, the satellite images at night and how the cities, like, light up. Um, so one of my teachers said that basically that's how the malaika see these gatherings at night. When they look at the earth and they see people gathered remembering God, they go and they flock to those areas and they surround the entire gathering and they take note of everyone's names that are there. And they report these names back to Allah in a good way. They're not narcs, right? They report these names back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they say that, oh Allah, this person so-and-so, you know, on a Monday night, after a long day of work, after the, the famous Texas dust storm of 2023, right? He got a car wash yesterday and he's still, right? His car's orange now. And they report back to Allah that despite all of these challenges and these hurdles and obstacles, right? They were tired, they were this, they were that, but they still came. Why? Allah Ta'ala asked the angels, why? Why would they do such a thing? And the angels say, oh Allah, you know best. And then Allah Ta'ala says, do they want my forgiveness? Is that why they're there? And then the angels say, yes, ya Allah. Do they want my Jannah? Yes, ya Allah. And then Allah says, have they ever seen it? Have they ever witnessed it? And the angels say, ya Allah, no. And it's a long conversation. At the end of it, Allah Ta'ala says, let it be known that I grant everybody who wishes for it in that gathering, whatever they wish. Right? So just by sitting here, and there's even a narration that says that there's even like one sleepy guy in the back. And he's passed out. And the angels bring up that guy. Right? What about him? Hamudi. Right? I'll just give him a name. Sorry if your name's Hamudi, right? What about Shahriyar? Right? Sorry, I was just picking random obscure names. Right? Dhulqarnayn. What, what about that person? Do they still get forgiven? They weren't, there, like, they weren't tapped in. They weren't front row. And Allah Ta'ala's generosity, His forgiveness, His mercy is so vast that He says, even that person. Because simply they were in a good environment. Environment matters, right? So we're going to play some of this, inshallah, of course, with the legendary Qari Abdul Basit. You know, have you guys ever seen these people recite how long their breath lasts? You guys ever tried? Um, so I, I used to go in the summers in, uh, uh, to Egypt with my mom and my, my family. And my mom, we used to go, and, and she was like of the the cut of cloth in her life is like, you don't waste time ever. We never waste time. So we're in Egypt and it's like summer vacation and she's like, all right, time to start Quran classes. And I like just landed in Iskandaria, Alexandria. It's like a beach, beach town. And she's like, go, right? And so I have to go sit with these scholars. So in Egypt, uh, uh, in Cairo, I would go and read as like a 11 year old boy. My first day of summer vacation, I'm still jet lagged. And I had to go sit with this scholar and read Quran to him and get corrected. And at the time I was 12 and like his six-year-old son is laughing at my mistakes. Anyways, it was traumatic. <laughs> but I later found out that that was Sheikh Muhammad Jibril, which is like, he's a world-renowned reciter. And some of the things I learned about him is that in order to gain that capacity for their lungs to, to recite so long, they would actually recite Quran while climbing stairs. Like they would climb stairs and they would recite out loud. So if you walked into the stairwell of the building, you would hear these people just reciting beautifully while climbing stairs, right? And you thought the stairmaster was hard as it is, right? Imagine, imagine reading Quran and not making mistakes while doing that. So we're going to listen, inshallah, a little bit uh, to what we're going to cover today, and then we'll jump right into the, uh, uh, the passage, inshallah. Bismillah.
Okay, so we're going to go ahead, inshallah, and try our best to cover these first five ayats. I know we're not looking good because I only covered two words last time, but let's jump in, inshallah, okay? So we started last week with talking about the concept of the ayah, the verse, and how the beauty of the Qur'an is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala references this idea of a verse being a sign, something that indicates, something that points you, also something that teaches you something, but then also refers to the reality, the natural reality around us as well as other things with this same verbiage, right? So the word ayah has multiple layers to its meanings. And one of the things that we talked about was that one of the wisdoms behind this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us these verses, aka ayat, in the Qur'an, but He's also surrounded us with signs, aka ayat. And the scholars of tafsir, they don't let that coincidence escape them. When they talk about why is it that Allah ta'ala refers to the things in the world around us, all of the natural phenomenon, the things that people attribute to like science or the cosmos or whatnot, why does Allah use that same verbiage, that same word, right? Every letter, every word, every sound in the Qur'an we believe is divine. We don't believe that it was like figured out later, that this is from God. Why would he correlate those two concepts? Well, one of the opinions, one of the unravelings of that is that if a person truly is observant of the world around them, it will inevitably lead them to find God. That if they see things around them, it will inevitably force them to go and reflect about what? There is no way that with all the complexity, all the nuance, all of the absolute, just, you know, almost seemingly infinite uh, uh, unknown about reality and about organisms and about the nature of humanity and this symphony that we're all sharing, that a person cannot honestly, with integrity, sit there in the middle of that and say that there's no creator. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He refers to our natural surroundings as ayat because truly if a person is thoughtful, if a person is reflective and honest with themselves, there's no doubt that they have to admit that. They have to admit that. And likewise, when a person engages in the reading of the Qur'an, when a person reads the verses in the book, it should be something that causes them to reflect about Allah when they're out and about living their mundane life. So the relationship between the two is, you know, in a good way, it's cyclical. We don't use that word oftentimes in a positive connotation. It's cyclical. That when I'm outside, I'm thinking about the, crea- the, the verses, and when I'm reading the Qur'an, I'm thinking about the Creator who created all of the things that I'm remembering. Okay? And then Allah Ta'ala says, Al-Kitab Al-Mubin. These are the verses of the clear book. Kitab is kind of interesting, right? Obviously we know that this is talking about the Qur'an, but remember, during the life of the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, the Qur'an was not a written manual. It wasn't sent down in book form. Okay? It was sent down, revealed, and then it was memorized. And again, their memory was, when I say memorized, and a lot of people are like, wait a minute. You have to understand, the nature of our memory now, you can't even compare. Okay? I'll ask you guys an embarrassing question. How many of you guys have dear family members that you don't know their phone numbers by heart? Ever since what? You got a cell phone, right? You remember the phone number of your home back when you were a child or your apartment, right? You remember those because at the time you didn't have any sort of aid or device to help you. So you had to commit it to memory. But now that we have these things, I'm pointing at you, live streamers. All right, now that you have these things, this phone, okay, it's easier for a person to store data but not actually to remember it because there's no need to. So if someone asks me right now, I know what you guys are all thinking, I know my wife's phone number, relax, okay? But if someone asks me for like my, my like in-laws or my, even I think my brother, I, yeah, he changed his number after, so I don't know it. It's just a contact in my phone, okay? It's just something in my phone. Even like our directionality, you guys remember when people used to actually know how to get places? And then they used to print out maps? And then now it's like, you just type it in, people don't even know. People don't even know where they're going, they just follow the prompts on the screen of their car. This is the nature of how we live. It's great. It's awesome. But remember, with every advancement in life, you're losing something. Right? If we are finite, if we only have this much room in our, in our consciousness, every time you add something new that's an advancement, it's great. You're losing something though, right? So what are you losing? Like when you add something to your plate, you're taking something off the plate. Okay? So we're adding technology, but we're losing these, these you know, the, the book 
like memorization skills that humanity once had. So these companions of the Prophet some of them had incredible, incredible memorization skills. Now, they did, at, at a later time, put the Qur'an in book form or in written form during the life of the Prophet and it was vetted and it was protected. All of that is known. It's preserved. This is something that no other religion can claim, by the way. That the revelation is preserved from the messenger that was revealed to, till now. I remember I, I actually had a, 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 an atheist professor in college who taught logic. And I took the class. And I remember he was very, you know, he's kind of, as professors are, they, let their, they wear their hearts on their sleeve. And, um, you know, he, he, had, he was very critical of all religions. But when it came to Islam, he was critical, no doubt. But he said, there's no doubt that the book that the Muslims have now is what Muhammad had. He said, that's undeniable. Like, that's historically proven. He said, however, the only difference now, if you're a believer or not, is do you believe that that was from God? But he said, as far as accuracy and preservation, like, you can't, you can't even challenge the notion that what Muhammad had is what we have now. You can't. Okay? If I said, Surah Al-Fatiha, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alamun, what's everyone going to say? Alameen, you idiot, right? <laughs> if I got up there and led prayer, you're going to have a million... It happens in Taraweeh. Poor Imam takes a break to catch his breath, and the person behind him is like, Qul Allah. It's like, yeah, I know, he knows what ikhlas. <laughs> right? we got the warriors, the Taraweeh warriors, trying to catch mistakes. Give him a break, man. May Allah Ta'ala give us Ramadan. Ramadan's amazing. Even those moments are like, they bring us happiness, right? So, this book has been preserved, and it's actually partially miraculous, subhanAllah, that before it was preserved as a text, it was referenced as a text. Allah Ta'ala calls it Al-Kitab. Now, the word Kitab in Arabic also, Allah uses the verb form in passive tense, Kutiba, something that was written. If you're in the medical field, it's called a prescription. Kutiba alaykum as When Allah talks about fasting, He says, fasting was prescribed for you. So the way we understand this book is that it is a record that contains things, information, realizations, reflection, knowledge, whatever you want to call it, that is meant to help the spiritual wellness of the person who reads it. You don't open up this book for any other reason besides to get better. This Qur'an has a precondition. In order for a person to benefit from it, they have to come to it and they have to open it saying what? I need help. Because there are people that open the Qur'an, that read it, that might even know Arabic better than you and I. But they come at it with a, an attitude of, whether it's skepticism, right, or they're incredulous, or, they don't, or, or they're doubtful, or they're mocking it, and they're unable to extract the wisdoms that we're going to be able to do together here as a group, inshallah. Why? Because the attitude that you had walking through these doors tonight, after I want to get those baked goods by Isra, right? And after I want to get coffee, the attitude you had was that I'm coming here on a Monday, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, but I want to get better. I don't think anyone comes in here except that they want to improve, right? And that is the prerequisite of the Qur'an, okay? It is a prescription, but in order for a prescription to work, the person has to want to get better. Otherwise, they're not going to commit to the plan. And then Allah Ta'ala uses another word to describe it, al-mubin. Mubin is a word that has a couple meanings. We'll do two of them. It has a few. Number one is that it is infinitely clear. It is absolutely clear in many ways. Number one, that this book is clearly from God. Even when you, even when you listen to the recitation of it, if you close your eyes and you focus and you think, you realize that there's no way that this prose, this rhythm, this beauty, this melody, this... There's no way that this could be from anyone besides the creator of the heavens and the earth. So number one is that the nature of this book is clear. You get it. This is not your organic chemistry textbook. Sorry if I triggered you. Right? This is not like the IRS tax code. This isn't the DSM-5. Whatever. This isn't that. When you read the Quran, it's different than other books. And that's why you have to come at it differently. Okay? But the second meaning of Mubin is one that I really, really think is, is super valuable, especially for this gathering. And that is that Allah Ta'ala describes this book not only as clear in and of itself, but also the Arabic has a connotation that this book is not clear, but it's also clarifying. This is a book that clearly makes things clear. 
right? That when a person reads this book, guess what happens? Right from wrong becomes apparent, right? Things become obvious. The path, the fork in the road becomes, it's, it's almost like a, non, a, 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 it's a no-brainer. Now, how many of you have ever had problems in your life? Raise your hand. Okay, everyone look around the room. Yeah. First of all, no one's being honest. Okay? We all have problems. Everyone has problems. Okay? This is part of what Allah described. You know, you know what Allah said in the Quran? لَقَدَ خَلَقَنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدْ He said, we created human beings in difficulty. Fee. Fee in Arabic means you're surrounded by it. You can't escape it. So people, they're sitting there in the universe and they're saying, why is the universe doing this to me? And Allah says, this is part of your test. Why? To see which one of you is going to be the best in your deeds. So the Quran already tells you that you're going to go through some tough times. Allah also says, are people, do people think that they're going to be left to say, I believe, without them having to be tested, to prove it? You guys ever told someone that, I love you? You guys ever said that? Not like that, guys, relax. You guys ever told like your parents, or it's normal, I love you, okay? And then sometimes your words don't match your actions. So you say, I love you, but then like, you don't listen. And after one time, two times, three times, the person that you're professing your love for verbally says what? Prove it. If you loved me, you wouldn't do that. If you loved me, you would listen. If you loved me, you would this, this, right? Because words are cheap. So Allah Ta'ala in the Quran, He says, you can say I believe all day long. But it's easy to believe when the IRS gives you a fat refund. It's easy to believe when everything's going well. It's easy to believe when you're getting, your job is accepted, you're offer, they're offering you a job. It's easy to believe on your wedding day. It's easy to believe when everything's going well. But can you believe when everything's falling apart? Can you believe when the, you didn't get chosen for the job? Or the proposal didn't get accepted? Or she chose someone else, brothers? Right? That wasn't a diss, relax. Side note, this is part of the problem. Anyways, okay, so. Can you believe in Allah when things aren't going your way? That's what Allah is asking. Right? Now, a lot of us, we interpret that moment of things not going my way as God is this or that. He doesn't love me. He's not supporting me. Or he doesn't exist. But isn't it so interesting that in his book, Allah says that this is a sign of his existence? Why? Let's, let, I'm going to do a little sidebar here. Why does Allah test people, man? Why? He already knows. He knows everything about you. He created you. Why does Allah test people? Right? I'll tell you why, just because we don't have time. Everyone's going to raise their... And I'm sure you're right. Everyone's got reflections. There's a lot of reasons why Allah tests people. The, the, the definitive answer, He tells us in the Quran, as a means of testing our faith. But you know what's crazy, subhanAllah? There's a scholar who wrote a book, and he talked about this problem, this question. And he said that there is nothing sweeter in life, right? There is nothing more difficult in life than being tested. There's nothing more, more horrific in life than when you're going through tests. But there's nothing sweeter in life than passing it. And if you didn't have the test, you wouldn't be able to taste the sweetness. A person who's never tested doesn't know what it's like to pass. Because they've never been tested. It's like going through school without any exams. It sounds nice, but honestly, don't you want to show that you know what you're doing? Climbing a mountain, you can only appreciate the view from the top. If you don't get the test of climbing, you'll never know that you could do it. So living life without tests sounds great, but then after a certain amount of time, you're like, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just nothing. Tastes like nothing. There's no sweetness because there's no struggle. So Allah Ta'ala, He tells us in this book that it's clarifying everything that we need to know. If we had a relationship, the Sahaba were incredible with this. Their relationship with the Qur'an was amazing. And we, you know, I used to think about this when I heard it as an example when I was younger. I read it in a book, and I remember being like, what? That makes no sense. And then I, I realize now that we are the same way, but with our phones. 
or with our keys or something. The Sahaba, they used to become so accustomed to going to the Qur'an for answers. They were so used to it. Like if something happened, they would go to the Qur'an. Right? They get into a fight with their spouse. Allah says, live with them in goodness. You're like, alright. I'm sorry, right? You, something comes up, you read the Qur'an, right? Go pray, go give sadaqah, do this, right? Forgive, pardon, be patient. All these amazing pieces of advice. They became so accustomed to that process that sometimes when they lost the rope to their camel, which is like the key to their car, when they lost the rope to their camel, they would go to the Qur'an and be like, I wonder if it tells me where it is. Like, there's a verse that's going to say, you left it by the well. Like, you know, like, okay? And actually, subhanAllah, there was a challenge one time that was made to one of the scholars where he said, every answer that you ever need to know is in the Qur'an. Everything. And there was a person that was like, that's, that's a crazy claim. I'm going, to call, you know, I'm going to call you out on that. So he showed up and he's like, hey, that's not true. He said, yes, it is. He goes, okay. Does the Qur'an tell us this specific thing? How many microprocessors are in that projector? Does the Qur'an tell us the size of the iPhone 14? Does the Qur'an tell us how big this space is? These are questions. Does it have those answers? The scholar said, yeah, it does. The guy was like, you're, being, you're, jo- you're joking now. You're being, you're, not being, you're being ridiculous. And the guy says, no, Allah says, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Allah says, if you don't know, ask those who know. And, yo, that verse is short, but, or that portion is short, but how real is that? How many of us can't even get to the part where we admit we don't know? Everyone wants to know. Everyone wants to act like they know. Ask the people of knowledge if you don't know. So if you don't know how many microprocessors are in there, call Epson. Right? Email Apple. Do you want to know the square footage? Talk to me. People who know. But you have to be humble to ask people who know and admit that you don't know. Okay? So this book is clarifying. But we will never know if we don't have a relationship with it. We'll never know. And to make the claim about the Qur'an, that it's not clarifying or it doesn't help or I've tried without actually giving it a genuine good amount of time to work on the heart of the person who's reading it, it's disingenuous. When someone tells me, like, I don't believe in Islam anymore, which happens often, I don't believe in Islam. I say, how often have you read the Qur'an in your life? They say, never. I say, you don't actually believe in anything then. It's not Islam. You never actually gave the book a a shot. You never gave it a chance. What you don't believe in is the way you were raised, and that's different. But if we're talking about this book, this text from from the divine, if you never read it, you can't say you don't believe in it. Right? Okay. This is the verse, these are the verses in the clear book. Then Allah Ta'ala says, That verily we have revealed these verses. We've sent them down. We have sent them down, meaning what? From the heavens to the earth. This is not like any other book that you've ever come across. This is a book that was sent from the divine to the created, the creator to the created. In Arabic. So that you might understand. Alright, how many of us in here fluently know the Arabic language? Enough to read the Qur'an and understand it grammatically, perfectly. I'm trying to get everyone to lower their hands. Okay. It's very difficult, right? Qur'anic grammar is a never-ending ocean. You do one part of it, you're like, I got this. And then you come across like this tafsir of Ibn Ashur, you're like, never mind, right? Or you come across Zamakhshari and Razi and you're like, forget about it. I'm going to go back to stories of the prophets. Right? Adam was the first prophet. Like, you know, that's where I'm at, okay? And the reason, part of the reason why that is, scholars say, is because the Qur'an is coming from the unlimited... Oh, there we go. I'm ready. Because the Qur'an is coming from the unlimited, and it's coming to the limited. Allah is unlimited, and we are limited. So naturally, we're going to be limited in our understanding of it. And that's okay. But subhanAllah... Allah here in this verse makes something very clear. The job of the person reading the Qur'an, in any language, right? There is value to studying Arabic. Not so you can order falafel. Not so you can say, you know, 
أريد شيء بالنعناع من فضلك. No one's going to impress anybody ordering shawarma Abu Omar, right? That's not the reason why you learn Arabic. You learn Arabic so that you can understand what God is saying to you. Okay? And spoken and, and classical Quranic are different, right? There's overlap, but they're different. I actually just got picked up, man. I, was, I came home yesterday from Raleigh, and I got picked up by an Uber driver that was Muslim, and he saw my name. And I'm like in a lot of pain because my leg and all that. So I was just like, I was just like, I don't, it's, I, my flight was at five in the morning. Let me give, let me make my excuses first, okay? <laughs> my flight was five in the morning. I landed at 7.20. I'm like four weeks post-op. I don't want to, I don't want to talk. I'm crutching everywhere. Yesterday I was in the airport and I was crutching and there was a guy with a wheelchair who's supposed to be pushing people who need help. And he was walking next to me the entire time I was crutching. <laughs> just like looking at me. And I was like, all right. And I was, I was too much of a man to ask for help. So I was like, I'm just going to keep going. So anyways, the brother picks me up, and he starts talking in Arabic, right? Amiya. And I start responding in Fusha, because my Amiya is really bad. And he looks at me, and he's like, where did you learn Arabic like that? And I said, I learned it, you know, from reading books and studying tafsir and things like that. And there's a joke that they say in the Middle East when a person says Arabic in Quranic Arabic, Fusha. When you finish talking, they say, Sadaqallahu al-Azim. <laughs> which is what a person says when they're done reciting Qur'an. Because they basically are trying to infer that you are a nerd. <laughs> right? So that Arabic is kind of one layer of what this is saying. That everybody should have a basic familiarity with the Arabic language, vocabulary. We should all know that Jannah means paradise. Rahma means mercy. Jahannam means the hellfire. We should all know that Different words, right? And there's actually beautiful apps. Quran, or Ramadan goal for everybody, download a Quranic vocabulary app and just memorize these words. Your tarawih prayer will be instantly accelerated because you're going to be listening and hearing these words and you're like, okay, I kind of know what's going on here, okay? But the other layer that I wanted to share, which I think is really profound, is that uh, uh, Ibn Ajiba, he writes this. He says that Allah revealed the Quran in Arabic, which is a language, so that you might understand it. So that you might, your intellect might engage with it. Ibn Ajiba says this is not specific to Arabic. Allah is mentioning Arabic because it's a language. So Allah is saying that we revealed this Qur'an to you in a language. It could have been revealed directly into your heart. There's many ways that Allah could have sent this guidance to you. It could have been revealed to you by a person. There could have been many different avenues. But Allah in His divine strategy, in His infinite wisdom, Reveal this message, the last message to humankind, in the form of a text. And that text is in language. And no matter how popular video and movie and podcasting and audiobooks and all this stuff is getting, no matter how popular, there is always something magical about turning the pages of a book. I have so many books, on, this is literally the tafsir, like, I have so many books on my iPad, but there is something so different about carrying a book. There's, you can taste, you can feel the work that was put into this. So Ibn Ajiba says, this book, this kitab, is in a language so that you can understand it. But he makes a very interesting point. He says that if you spend all of your time using that God-given intellect, that incredible talent that you have, trying to figure out how you can keep up with the Kardashians, or trying to figure out whether LeBron tore something or just injured something and how many weeks he's going to be out after yesterday's injury. If you spend all of your time using the, one of the greatest privileges that God gave you as a human being, your intellect, to chase after stuff that's inconsequential, that means nothing, gossip, celebrity gossip, I'm about to go on a rant. They don't even know who you are. But we memorize their lives as if they care. I'll tell you a story. When I was young, I play golf because I'm really white. Okay, so I play golf. <laughs> when I was young, I met Tiger Woods. I met Tiger Woods when I was like eight years old because my dad worked at this company and there was a golf tournament. I went there and there was a pre-tournament practice round. I see Tiger Woods. I'm eight years old. Okay, so I go up to Tiger Woods and I say to him, what, like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Like, there's this, he's a celebrity, he's a superstar, he's Tiger Woods. I say, Tiger he looks at me, and I'm 
my size, so we're like looking eye to eye. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. And he says, he, he looks at me, and I look at him, and I say, you're amazing. You're incredible at golf. Like, you're so good, man. Just an eight-year-old kid, man. Have you guys ever met an eight-year-old? You got a couple right here. You guys ever met an eight-year-old? Like, they just say stuff. Like, and they don't mean anything by it. It's just, you know what he says to me? You know what he responds to me? I'll never forget this, man. He goes, yeah, I practice a lot more than you do. <laughs> you could have just said, I practice a lot. You could have just said, thanks. You could have just said, I appreciate it, man. One day you'll be good too. Lie to me. <laughs> I don't care. These celebrities have no idea who you are. But we need to know every intimate detail about their lives more than we focus and care about our own lives. Right? The TikTok black hole. If we use our intellect for pointless things, our intellect will become pointless. Ibn Ajiba says, the job of the Qur'an is to cleanse and polish and purify that amazing intellect you have. See, a lot of times people try to position religion as being revelation versus reason. Ibn Ajiba says the job of revelation is to align your reason. That goes back to the first verse. If you engage with this book, you will start to see Allah everywhere. I'm not speaking literally, of course. You will see how Allah manifests in your life in every moment. The reason why we can't see it now is because our aqal our is clouded. There are some people that are convinced that there is no creator. And they arrived at that realization using intellect. Right? But we, if you study any biology or chemistry or any of these natural sciences in which there is complexity that is undeniable, the person whose intellect has been purified by divine revelation their arrival, their destination is very different. They say, are you serious? I remember learning about the mitochondria and being like, who on earth could think of this? How could this be an accident? The person comes to the realization that there has to be a creator, but only if their intellect is purified. So one of the things that we have to do is we have to understand that engaging with this book, reflecting on it, using this intellect to, uh, to, to derive from it, it's not a given. You can't just stroll up to the Qur'an, flip on the lights, and say, all right, where's all this wisdom? It's not how it works, right? If the plate is dirty, you've got to clean it before you can eat on it. If the mind is sullied, if it's filthy, you've got to spend some time preparing the heart, preparing the mind to be able to engage with this book. And what better time to do this than three weeks before Ramadan? So that when we hit the month of Ramadan, the mind is ready to understand all these lessons. Right? Just like the gritty. Okay. Number three. Allah Ta'ala is talking now to who? Who's he talking to? The Prophet Sallallahu Remember, this is being revealed to the Prophet Sallallahu He says that we relate to you, O Prophet, the best stories through our revelation of this Qur'an, though before this you were totally unaware of them. What's the power of a story, guys? Why is Allah revealing stories? Why do we need stories? You guys watch movies? Anyone watch a movie? Right? Why do we watch movies? We watch movies because there's a story. And because a story can connect and can impart and can share lessons that cannot be arrived at sometimes any other way besides a narrative, a flow, development, characters. The Qur'an is filled with stories. If you look at the Qur'an actually, it has so many stories. And these stories are included, as Allah said, why? To cleanse and to prepare the heart so that we can make your heart strong because the Prophet is going through the worst time of his life right now and I'm not trying to spoil anything for anybody but Prophet Yusuf's life is not easy now imagine Allah could have just said in one verse oh messenger your life is not easy it would have been the shortest surah in the whole Quran but Allah spends the duration of this surah, 
to explain to the Prophet And not just theoretically, he gives him the narrative. He breaks it down step by step, detailing emotions, painting pictures, images, fathers weeping over his lost son, brothers leaving their brother for dead, being captured, being wrongfully imprisoned. All of these moments, this is an incredible story. Why? Because through stories, the hearts are softened. When we hear stories, not just from the Qur'an, but yes, of course, but when we hear from other people, right? When you're going through something, and somebody else is going through that same thing, and you sit and you share stories, how do you feel? Feel better. Even though no one solved anything, you're still going through it. You walk out of that conversation, you're still like, I don't know what to do. But at least I'm not alone. At least I'm not alone, right? Stories are very powerful. So Allah Ta'ala uses stories to give us a feeling of comfort. You're not alone. If a person truly connects with the stories in the Qur'an, then they realize that everything that they're going through has been gone through. The deception, the loss, the trial, the difficulty, all of it has been experienced before. Not to, not to put yours down, not to say that, oh, get up, get over it. No, but to say you're not alone. People who you look up to know what you're going through. They've been through what, you're, what you've been through. I mean, think about all the stories, man. Ibrahim and his, and his father, right? According to the, some of the Mufasini, his father, some say his uncle. He has to go against his own dad. I don't, don't raise your hand, but anyone here ever had a tough relationship with their father? Don't raise your hand. Anyone here ever had a tough relationship with their father? Go look at the story of Ibrahim. Parents who struggled with their kids. A lot of parents come when their kids leave Islam and they don't know what to do, what to say. Look at the story of Nuh. Ya bunayya irkab ma'na. The wave is coming. Everything is gone. Nuh knows what's going to happen. If you're not on that ship, you're done. And he's telling his son... Ya Bunaya, it's not like, oh my son, it's baby boy, please, he's begging his son. Come with us. You don't know what's about to happen. And his son looks him in the eye and tells him, I'm good. And his father has to process that in that moment, knowing he just lost his son. Not emotionally, the guy's gone. He's dead. It doesn't necessarily solve and absolutely give you the solution because sometimes the test just has to be gone through. But at least you know now when you meet Nuh and Jannah, you'll have something to talk about, man. People that lost loved ones, the Quran is filled with stories. Right? But do we engage with it? Allah Ta'ala says, نَحْنُ نَقُسُ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ We give you the best of stories. بِمَا أَوْحَيْنَا This is only coming from the revelation of God. إِلَيْكَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ From this Qur'an. And this is something that you did not know before. The Prophet ﷺ, he did not have a deep knowledge of history. He did not have an incredible knowledge of all of the previous scriptures. He wasn't a professor of religion. In fact, if he was, it would have made his claim of prophethood a little bit challenging. He came into this messengership not knowing a lot about previous religions. And so the rabbis, and sometimes the Quraysh would employ them, he would, they would ask some of these rabbinical like, leaders, like, hey, give us some stuff from the monotheistic faiths that we can bring up to this guy in order to stump him. And so one of the questions that they asked, is same thing with Surah Al-Kahf, right? One of the questions they asked of Surah Yusuf was, tell us the story of Yusuf. Because they both actually come from Sayyidina Ibrahim Prophet Muhammad and Yusuf both come from the same lineage. They're distant cousins, just like everyone in this room. Just joking, right? <laughs> They're distant cousins. And so it's interesting because Muhammad is claiming that I am on the path of Ibrahim. I am following the path of Abraham. And so they come up to him and they say, you are really? Yeah. Okay, why don't you tell us about Joseph then? Give us his story. Now the Prophet, like I said, is not a professor of world religions. He doesn't know. He's just been given this message from Jibreel. So Allah, as a response to that challenge, comes and tells him this moment, that we're revealing this to you, and you were unaware. Man, you know, why, you know why the Qur'an is so powerful? Because one of the things that a person has to do, they have to submit to not knowing everything. Even the Messenger of God, when he's receiving this revelation, has to say, I don't know. 
Okay? And then we'll do this last verse. إِذْ قَالَ يُوسُفُ لِأَبِيهِ يَا أَبَتِي إِنِّي رَأَيْتُ أَحَدَ عَشَرَ كَوْكَبَ وَالشَّمْسَ وَالْقَمَرَ رَأَيْتُهُمْ لِي سَاجِدِينَ You have Yusuf. The story begins. You guys ever watch Batman? Right? Dark Knight? You guys have a jumps in with the bank robbery scene? So good, right? <laughs> this is one of, the, this is one of the, the tools of storytelling. Is that you jump into the story. Who's Yusuf? Right? We don't know. He has a, all we know is that there's Yusuf and he has a dad. Okay? There was, no, there was no prologue. There was no, like, let's introduce the characters. Allah just jumped right in. So all we know now is that there's this child, a son, okay? And we know from the tafsir, from other references, that Yusuf is very young. Some say 10, some say 7. That he was sleeping and he woke up. And when he woke up, he said... I, my father, I want to tell you something. I saw in my dream that there were 11 stars and there was a sun and the moon and I saw them and they were all bowing to me. So he goes to his father. Now we know from the tafsir and from the lineage that his father, Yaqub, is also a prophet, okay? So we have son of a prophet going to his father saying, I saw this dream. Anyone here ever had a weird dream before? Don't share it. Just you had a weird dream? Okay. <laughs> So dreams can come from a few different places. Number one, we believe that they can come from uh, uh, divine sources, right? The Prophet ﷺ said this. He called them mubashirat. So a person can have dreams that do come true, just like all the shows said. Your dreams will come true. Uh, then there can be dreams that are just from a person's imagination, like you ate too much or whatever, that night had too much milk or something. And then there can be dreams that come from shaitan. And this is why we make the dua before we go to sleep, because we don't want to have those nightmares, right? So... This dream, the dream of prophets, is guaranteed to come from Allah. It's promised that it's revelation. Now what's interesting is that this dream, Yusuf goes to his father, and he talks to his father right away, and he says, my father, this is what happened. So right away we know something about Yusuf and his dad. What do we know? They're close. They have trust. Right? Because when something goes, when something's serious, and by the way, in Arabic he says, Ra'aytu twice. I saw, I saw. Even in English, there's a lot of urgency there. Hey, Dad, I saw in my dream, 11 stars, sun and moon, I saw them bowing to me. Like, it's not like he's casually like, oh yeah, I had this dream, it was so strange. No, he's, there's something there. So he tells his father, I saw this, I saw this. Okay, so number one, he had a relationship with not just anybody, but his father, an elder, someone who was wise. How many times do things happen in your life and you don't have a wise person to go to? Sometimes it's like the blind leading the blind, right? As they say. Like, I'm going through something, and I go to everybody else who's also going through that thing. Help me. Some of the worst advice I've ever seen from people who are trying to get married are also single people. <laughs> no offense. I sit and watch laughing. They're like, no. That's wrong. I'm like, how long have you been married? They're like, never. <laughs> but I know. It's like, Okay. Right? Or, or now it's with some of the brothers, man. It's like, when I get married, okay, check back in five years, homie. Right? Okay? I'll have the popcorn ready to see how much words you can eat. Okay. So, how many of us have a wise person in our life that we can turn to? Someone that's older than us, preferably. Someone that has more experience. Maybe it could be your parents. Or it could be someone that's maybe not even related to you. But do you have that person? Do you have that person that you trust their wisdom, their experience? And how many of us, when we do have that person, we have the humility to go and approach them and ask them for guidance and for help? Because the way Yaqub responds, and I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger, it's, very, it's, it's critical. It's, it's, I mean, it's crucial. It's not something simple. He gives him an out-of-this-world response, something that Yusuf's not expecting at all. I'm not going to go into it, right? And Yusuf, salam, you can imagine, the response he gets, it probably makes him uncomfortable. It makes him deeply concerned. But again, that's part of being a person who trusts wisdom. You may not get it, but the person who's wise might be telling you something that you can't even see yet. You're so stuck in the cloud, not that cloud, the fog, you're so immersed in fog that you can't see what this person has been through a million times. 
So some of us like to complain about that person, whether it's our parents or our grandparents or uncles and aunts and this and that. You know, they'll tell you stuff. They'll remind you. They'll give you advice. And you'll say, man, I'm so tired of this. But then a time will come when you say, you know what, I'm so happy I had that. They were right. They were absolutely right. Right? Having that wisdom. We ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us that humility. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to give us a connection with His book. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be people that have people that we can turn to, people that we can seek advice from, people that we can derive wisdom from. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to always keep us rightly guided and to purify our hearts and to allow us to always make right decisions. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to protect us from tests and things that we cannot bear. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us strength and clarity and focus and vision. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us patience and compassion and humility and trust in Him. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. We hope that inshallah you enjoyed and benefited listening to the Heartwork Community Quran Study Series on Surah Yusuf. If you did enjoy and if you did benefit, then please consider helping us reach our Ramadan campaign goal of 250 new sustainers by heading over to rootsdfw.org sustain. If you're already a sustainer, let your family and friends know to support the work that we do. We'll see you next week, inshallah. Jazakumullah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullah.